Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Weekly Dispatch. It's Sean, still here in New York City. We're going to be covering the week of the 6th through the 13th of October. CrossFit Games are officially here with the Open, which means everyone is looking at these workouts and thinking the games are just a little bit more effort away from being a reality this year if they just pace this next workout right wrong. But if you do do the Open and you beat Bobby, we have prizes for you. So beat Bobby. Let's start the hashtag out. Beat Cronus Bobby. That's hashtag Beat Cronus Bobby. Also use Cronus Fit on this site to see how you compare to the other athletes. Bobby also did this first workout just for you guys in under 13 minutes. And today he finished the Army 10 miler in under 80 minutes. So there you go. That's the Ranger standard for 10. What's your excuse for the five? Our podcast is sponsored by Paragon Recovery. Use the code Cronus to get great deals on their products. Paragon Recovery keeps you in the fight through activating your recovery and sleep cycles. And check them out and contact them for even more savings if you're a member of the military community or one of the law enforcement agencies. This week, internationally, we're going to revisit Afghanistan, see if those elections are finished and who the president is. And holy shit, we're pulling out of Syria. Turkey is going into Syria. Let's hope they don't mess with our U.S. for... Oh, too late. No, they shelled them. Oof. Okay, let's see uh, how we got here in Syria with Turkey. And then this week we had some great TV. Namely, there was a town hall with most of the Democratic individuals running for president on the liberal side of the house. And then the same night, President Trump had a rally in Minnesota. Yeah, so we'll cover both of those and try to get you all the pertinent information that came out of there. Uh, let's go on to sports, uh, running great news for running and the marathon. If you didn't catch it this week, we'll talk CrossFit 20.1, what the workout looks like and how you might do it. And then we're going to talk about China in the NBA. So this week will be a pretty fun podcast. Stick around for the end for some more uplifting news than we talked about last week. And hopefully we get kicked off right. Let's go. In Afghanistan, the results are still not in, guys. The warlord Hekmatar claims that two-thirds of the votes for current president Ashraf Ghani are fraudulent. And we couldn't reach out to either Ghani or Dr. Abdullah for comment. So there you go. Take it from the warlord's mouth himself. Results are expected by the 19th, though. So next week, we might have a winner. If there's no clear winner, Afghanistan will have a runoff. That was a short segment on Afghanistan, shorter than the 18 years we've been there. Next, Turkey. Recently, a contingent of U.S. Special Forces were caught in shelling by Turkish artillery against U.S.-backed Kurdish positions in northern Syria. The shelling occurred in the Kurdish city of Kobani on a hilltop named Mashtanur. Thankfully, no injuries were reported. The president announced a total withdrawal of U.S. forces from Syria, but the Pentagon has still yet to issue that order for the withdrawal, leaving anywhere from 15 to 100 operators within the country and then upwards of about 1,000 soldiers that are in support. Turkey said its actions were in total self-defense and the firing was targeting a position which was 1,000 meters south 
of that U.S. force position on the hilltop. Uh, the U.S. first partnered with the Kurds back in 2015 to battle ISIS, and then the Kurd focus shifted more to ousting Syrian President al-Assad. The U.S. decision to support the Kurds has long been opposed by Turkey, who is a member of NATO and a longtime target of Kurdish terrorist attacks. But which groups are the terrorists and who are the fighters partnered with? So where do we draw the line within our own Kurdish support? Well, the Turks are looking to attack what is called the Syrian Democratic Forces, which is a Kurdish militia on the southern border of Turkey. The U.S. is an ally of both the SDF and Turkey. This is where it gets weird. The Kurds are the fourth largest ethnic group in the Middle East, uh, marginalized, and they're in a territory that stretches roughly from Turkey through Iraq, Syria, Iran, and Armenia. Turkey has had problems specifically with the PKK, which is the Kurdistan Workers' Party, which launched its movement back in the 1980s. The U.S. considers the PKK a terrorist group. Okay, so Turkey and the U.S. were in agreement on something right here. Where did it go wrong? In Syria, in 2004, the Kurdish People's Protection Unit, known as the YPG, sought an autonomous state for the Kurds. The difficulty is both the SDF and the YPG have ties to the PKK. The problem started increasing for Turkey when the SDF began attacking northern towns in Syria, which were backed by ISIS and the Syrian government, which then put pressure on Turkey. And that's where President Erdogan started saying, hey, we're going to attack these Kurdish rebels because everyone has ties back to the main bad guy that the United States has classified as a terrorist group. President Trump said on Twitter, we may be in the process of leaving Syria, but no way have we abandoned the Kurds who are special people and wonderful fighters. And then in a subsequent message, he said that the United States was helping the Kurds financially and warn Turkey against unnecessary force. So what does that mean and how will we really support them? American values have long been the hallmark of our foreign policy because no matter where we go, individuals know that when we commit to something, it's 100%. The United States will send men and women into harm's way to protect a democratic, free world. We've been doing it since World War I all the way through the current times. However, if we're gonna back them financially, and Turkey knows this, and all of a sudden, shut up, Siri. And all of a sudden, we have Turkish forces fighting rebels backed with weapons that were purchased through United States means. What is that going to do to our relationship with Turkey and a NATO ally? Anyway, Turkish-led troops invaded a strategic town in Syria this past Saturday. It's the first breakthrough of the Kurdish-held region. The captured town is Ras Al Ain. It's critical in connecting eastern and western wings of the Kurdish territory, making it harder for the fighters to supply forces and troop positions. The Turkish attacks are entering their fifth day, and it's also disrupting a campaign to drive ISIS out of northern Syria. Right now, the Kurds control a large swath of northern Syria from Korbani to Kamishi and south to Raqqa and Abu Kamalo. Turkey is claiming its intent is to create a buffer zone for Turkish protection of its border. And the Kurds have to deal now with securing thousands of ISIS fighters which are jailed in the region and the remaining extremists using this time to attack the Kurds. What does getting out of Syria mean then? 
if we look at the military industrial complex, it probably means that we're going to have bipartisan support to actually stay in Syria. If we look beyond just this moral code with which we determine how the United States goes about picking which fights it's going to choose, we can just look at it from an economic standpoint. Auctions for factories can fetch up to $100 million. This is from 2017, a report which shows that districts all over the country are fighting to have factories created that produce ammunition, aircraft, guided missiles, and armored vehicles. And because of this, it's very lucrative, and individuals want to bring jobs into their towns. So I'm not saying that politicians want to go free people that are held underneath a tyrannical boot around the world without just that total sympathy for someone else's plight, but there might be some actual economic reasons for why they choose this. If you want to know, the F-35 cost about $1.4 trillion. So that's just kind of an idea of why maybe getting out of Syria is being so heavily opposed by everyone in Congress, not just Democrats and not just Republicans. We have to look at it from this standpoint. At what point can we pass the torch off to a fighting organization that has had a couple years to learn from us without investing more blood, sweat, and tears by Americans on foreign soil since we've been fighting for what may be in two years from now someone's entire military career by the time they decide to retire with 20 years of service to this country? Food for thought. All right, U.S. News. This past week, we talked about some great television that was on. The first thing we're going to talk about this week is the CNN Equality Town Hall. Basic issues that were covered was a discussion of the LGBTQ plus rights and issues, especially given the Supreme Court's oral arguments on LGBTQ employment, which is trying to fall underneath the Civil Rights Act. And what difficulties are stemming from intersecting identities on race, queerness, and then that identity of just a person and what's a choice, what's something that is just inherent to our biological DNA. Other topics that were talked about, trans children and bullying and then the rise of suicides, HIV testing and prevention, donating blood, and individuals within society that still can't give back to a society where in many states it's still legal for discrimination based on a religious preference. So it's, it's very difficult to understand now and why it's in the Supreme Court what falls beyond a First Amendment right with free speech and what goes to the Civil Rights Act. Every single person came out strongly supporting rights and freedoms for every single group represented by the LGBTQ plus banner. Not a single candidate had anything outlandish to say so far as their unequivocal support, but we're gonna talk about some of the high points and low points for each one of the candidates that actually came through. The resounding winner of watching this would have to be Mayor Pete Buttigieg. And at the very beginning of his question period, he was interrupted by protesters loudly shouting trans lives matter. The individual that was questioning him on the stage was Anderson Cooper. And they handled the situation incredibly. You're on live TV. Mayor Pete Buttigieg has been behind the polls nationally for some time now. 
But this was really a moment where they both stepped back, let the protest happen, and then Anderson Cooper said, and I quote, there's a long and proud tradition in history in the gay and lesbian transgender community of protest, and we applaud them for the protest. Just diffusing the situation on live TV, incredibly well stated, and then allowing Mayor Pete Buttigieg to tell his personal story about coming out and how difficult it was, even given his service to this country where he went to Afghanistan. And then obviously, Anderson Cooper and his experiences. So he had the most to say about this, and then he was very well supported by the rest of the Democratic field throughout the end of the night. Big things that Pete Buttigieg talked about was ending a ban on trans service within the military. And they estimate that about 12 to 15,000 individuals in the military could potentially be transgender. Having served in combat arms in the Army, that's something that I didn't see too often. I think there's a very common demographic within the Army infantry, and then within some of the other branches, you see it too. So there wasn't a lot of diversity, both, I think, racially, religiously, that you experience while you're in service. But obviously, as the Army has grown, there's way more opportunity for you to meet different people that you would otherwise not meet if you were just coming from a rural part of the country with a very small town in one of those classic we only had one stoplight kind of scenarios. Uh, anyone that came after about 9.30 at night though could probably be considered somewhat of a loser in this situation because no one wants to stay for four and a half hours hearing the same kind of questions being discussed. Joe Biden had to face his very long political record where he voted in the past for don't ask, don't tell and answer why he did so. Beto O'Rourke said that he would move to take away tax exempt statuses if religious institutions were opposed to same sex marriage. That's where I talk about, I don't even know how we can wrap our head around that and good thing pe people that are smarter than I am in the Supreme Court are starting to take these oral arguments. Senator Warren backtracked a 2012 answer on the campaign trail stating she'd support transition therapy for transgender inmates in prison and that it was no longer a bad use of taxpayer dollars. And then Tulsi Gabbard had to apologize for her history of anti-gay stances, where in her home state she debated whether to legalize civil unions, but now claiming that her service, like I talked about within the LGBT community that serve our country, really changed her views. So those were the really big things that happened at the CNN town hall. At the exact same time, though, President Trump held a campaign rally in Minnesota where they claimed 20,000 supporters heard the president talk about his path ahead, and then another 20,000 were waiting outside to hear off a screen and projector. Similar to uniformed soldiers not being able to wear uniforms at campaign events, one of the first things that was really striking were tons of police officers in shirts that said cops for Trump. So cops were prevented from wearing their uniforms at the campaign event, just like our service members are in political campaigns to create a professional standard where we are unbiased. Uh, President Trump called out the shirts, uh, was very proud for their support. And this rally comes on the footsteps of news that Rudy Giuliani's associates were arrested for attempt to leave uh, the country out of Dulles International Airport which led President Trump to go further on his relationship with Mr. Giuliani saying that he was a good attorney. So not too sure if Mr. Giuliani is still the attorney for the president. And this is just like the DHS secretary who just stepped down. 
the rally saw Trump mock Joe and Hunter Biden, where he talked about how great the economy is performing and how the media is still wrong. He doesn't trust polls, especially the Fox News poll that came out where it said 51% of those polled believe that impeachment was the right process. There was an interesting topic in the New York Times Daily Podcast where they discussed the dead chicken defense, where a Republican strategist said they use attacks by Democrats, point out holes in them, and then they bring up these holes over and over again, kind of tying it around the necks of the Democrats. And this goes back to where dogs have killed chickens in the hen house, and then those chickens are hanged around the necks of the dogs to teach them not to go in and cause trouble, and they lose the taste for the chicken. So eventually, the Republican strategy is hoping all of these attacks, which get holes poked in them by the administration or they believe good defenses are brought up, will make it so that Democrats no longer want to attack the president. This time, too, at the rally, President Trump said he released the incredible, groundbreaking, most unquid pro quo transcript ever for his discussion with the president of Ukraine. However, just keep in mind, that is a memorandum discussing the call. It's not the call itself. But this isn't stopping him from claiming total exoneration from any wrongdoing, like the Mueller investigation. New reports also indicate a potential blowback to the claims that the whistleblower may have had prior relations or communications with senior Democratic leaders, a claim that has been not substantiated, but just like we said with the dead chicken analogy, it's used to discredit any claims made by whistleblowers, and if they continue reporting on it, it's going to stick and hold with a large base. The whistleblowers made completely legal complaints which was reviewed by the Inspector General and the White House Office of Legal Counsel. But unfortunately, nothing the transcripts said in that memorandum have really been discussed by the administration, and they've been shifting focus on the Democratic frontrunner and then Representative Schiff. The next issue for the president will be the actual impeachment inquiry. It's clear the impeachment talk has been circulating since he took office. It has to be annoying to hear that. But it's not illegal to bring proceedings in the House. That's just the law. That's how it is. It's applied to both President Clinton, President Nixon. It's just a matter of checks and balances. Going back to Giuliani, Mitch McConnell invited Rudy Giuliani to the Senate for questioning after Mr. Giuliani said he would refuse a subpoena by the House, which right now the jurisdiction for this review is in the Intelligence Committee. He could face significant backlash if he refuses to go before a subpoena as a man that is barred as a lawyer, he could lose that bar status if they wanted to go and press that and debar him. The only thing I took away from the rally as well as the Democrats town hall was really kind of a discussion about veterans. It was very party line, every other topic. But as a veteran, I'm starting to see that we're used for quick applause and to try to make yourself look more American. You know, you get the obligatory USA chant. It's a very loving and a, a very easy target to say, we have, you know, civil servants, we have soldiers supporting us. Democrats love labeling anyone who served a hero, just the, like the Republicans do. Anyone that's been to Iraq or Afghanistan or Syria, it's always a combat war deployment. Though everyone that's been other, there knows completely otherwise that it's very few individuals that get out there and actually pull the trigger. But everyone that goes over there is all of a sudden a hero. 
Republicans love using the military as a shield to hide some ulterior motives. And then the Democrats as well, if you have a history of service, you are all of a sudden someone that can speak about general policy for anything to do with the military, even if you didn't do anything within the military that had anything to do with policy. Of course, the military can't come out and say anything, so I will. It's nonpartisan. It's annoying to see the military used as a means for cheap cheers or to bolster a valueless candidate or a valueless leader. It's just a platitude. It's like those random people saying, thank you for your service. Dude, the war has been going on for years. I definitely don't want to go back to the Vietnam era where veterans were being spit on. No one was really joining or signing up. It was a draft. But no one signs up now to be thanked. You want to do something or thank a veteran? Go and elect better leaders who make priorities like the VA healthcare problem a priority. Better yet, why don't you donate to some great veteran charities? Hire a veteran if you're a small business owner. Stop thanking us when the service is completely voluntary. I get it. Before World War II, everyone knew a soldier. Soldiers saw combat all over Europe and Japan, and they earned that title of a soldier in the face of a global war, tyranny, and just outright evil. But because now less than 1% of the U.S. individuals serve, it's such a small fraction that the mere fact someone is thanking you doesn't really have any reason beyond saying like, hey, it's a little embarrassing that I didn't serve or that now I know nobody that served, but I'm doing my part by thanking someone today. It just does not seem genuine now after 18 years. I personally dislike being thanked, if you can't tell. I also dislike hearing if you come up to me to tell me how your grandfather or your uncle or your father was in, who clearly didn't leave an impact on you to raise your hand during a time of war to serve. Sorry, I'm not sorry. To all the politicians out there who have kids old enough to serve, who have been in leadership positions in the House or the Senate who don't serve, where's your patriotism? You had children grow up with this patriotic fervor and zeal that you were supposed to have as a selective official, and they don't even apply it to public service, let alone service to the country. To the politicians who have been career politicians, using the service of their parents in World War II as a talking point of knowing what war looks like or does to a family, just cut it out. The veteran community, I think, sees beyond it. And I think that's why so many of us are now running for office. And we've said it before, contact your local reps, get out there, change your communities. Don't let someone use your service as their political victory. That uniform was not easily earned by you, the 1%, and the title that came with it. Don't let someone else benefit from your patriotism and selflessness. That's my personal take. You can do whatever you like with it. But for the individuals that are out there, be the change you want to see. All right, our small economic focus today will be on President Trump and China. On Friday, President Trump announced an initial agreement with China, momentarily halting an increase to the economic war. That is ongoing, you could say. If completed, the New York Times reported the agreement would include China buying about 40 to $50 billion worth of agricultural products annually and creating guidelines on how China manages its currency during Nibby. I don't think I said that right at all. We covered that a couple weeks ago and how the central bank in China measures GDP as a set value instead of one that shifts with economic output. It's more of a planning factor in adjusting that value. 
Other areas of the initial agreement include U.S. intellectual property. This comes a week ahead of U.S.'s move to increase tariffs on over $250 billion worth of Chinese goods to 30%. The next date for that is December 15th. It's unclear if that's going to occur if we continue good trade talks with China. All right, sports, something really cool happened this week. Yulid Kipchoge broke the two-hour marathon barrier. Guys, that is a 433 mile for 26.2 miles. He ran a 159.40. Unreal. Kipchoge is in the land of giants, myths, and lore. No one thought breaking two hours was something a runner could possibly touch. He's come close, but it just didn't think that it was really like achievable. He tried last year in Berlin, spent the last four and a half months training to break that barrier. Kipchoge himself is an eight-time major marathon winner. He's got an Olympic gold medal from 2016, among other Olympic medals. And now he's just been immortalized in the running world. Kipchoge had help from pacers. He had a car with a laser pace indicator for these rabbits that he used. And now the IAF won't validate his time as an official world record, which is completely useless to anyone that cares because the dude ran the time. It's absolutely incredible. And speaking of incredible, open 20.1. The workout is 10 rounds, eight ground to overhead with 95 pounds for men, 65 for women, and then eight bar, excuse me, 10 bar facing burpees. So eight ground to overhead, 10 bar facing burpees, where you have to be perpendicular to the bar at the start of the movement, jump over with two feet seen a lot of videos of people going over the bar laterally, not really a bar facing burpee, individuals going off one foot instead of two, people clipping the bar and not recounting the rep. Seen a lot of people do power snatches and then burn their shoulders out. Some people doing singles. For the most part, majority of athletes are not finishing this workout in the 15 minute time cap. The 99th percentile of just awesome athletes are doing this around 11 to 12 minutes. Bobby did it in south of 13. Won't tell you how south of 13 because you're going to have to follow us on Cronus Fit to see exactly where you stack up and using the Kilomoto app. All I can say is make sure you guys pace this workout well. If you want to get uh, south of 14 into the 13s, you're going to be looking at around like a 120-ish, 123, 124 a lot of people are going out in these first rounds in 50, 55, 56 seconds, completely redlining themselves. The next thing you know, you're looking at a two to two 30 minute round by the time you get to round six or seven. Make sure you guys have someone counting your reps. It's really difficult to maintain the 18 reps per round in your head, making sure you're hitting every single one of them if you're filming it. So it's been fun watching it because the open announcement was pretty boring. It never looks like a difficult workout. And that's the worst part about the open. You look at it and go, okay, I've done something similar. I can do a hundred burpees in six minutes. This is going to be a piece of cake. And then you start doing it and it is just straight iron in your lungs. You're sluggish. If you're going to power snatch it, make sure you don't muscle snatch it. Make sure you get some hip contact in there and get nice and extended overhead. If you do clean and jerks, maybe a little bit wider of a clean and jerk might be a little bit better. So there's less movement for you to push that bar overhead, opening up that window. 
just some food for thought, but it should be fun. Other things we should mention before we talk about China and the NBA. Congrats to the Washington Mystics, who, Mystics, Fishsticks, Mystics, Mystics. Here we go. They won their first WNBA championship. This week, they defeated their rivals in five games coming from behind in the title match to clinch their first championship. And now we transition to the meat of our podcast, China and the NBA. The NBA is the only pro league that seems to be completely in touch with social issues and the needs of players, from my perspective. We had the Kaepernick issue in the NFL where it seemed that the social justice policy and feelings of players was completely squashed. However, in the NBA, it's completely different from hands up, don't shoot, and Trayvon Martin back years ago with support by LeBron and members of the Heat to any current topic that is going on. The NBA and its commissioner, Adam Silver, are completely in support of players' rights, and they do it very respectfully and usually sign something with the NBA Players Association to say this is how you go about good policy and protest. From major social justice movements that played crucial role in dialogues about race, religion, age, violence, and police interactions, it just seems like the NBA has been a step ahead of other sports. But this week, the NBA has found itself the target of both China and a lot of the American population, and how you might be wondering. Well, the Houston Rockets general manager, Daryl Morley, tweeted support over the weekend for the protesters in Hong Kong, and with that, an economic salvo bigger than the Turkey invasion into Syria was released by Beijing. Morley was quick to delete that tweet and then apologized for what most Americans we're asking what the big deal is, but politics are uncommon to NBA fans in China. Not uncommon here in the United States, so we didn't really see what the problem was. But politics in China is a no-go zone. It's like Fort Benning's red cockaded woodpecker. Don't mess with it unless you want to get completely tuned up. The problem is our quote-unquote woke nation is pretty great. I mean, it really is. You got to think how great it is to be American. Because compared to a lot of less woke countries around the globe, criticism of the government, something that we founded this country on with a bunch of pitchforks beating the shit out of somebody that made tea, that stuff's not allowed in China or in other countries with who we share significant economic ties. Saudi Arabia. But how does that translate to Americans? Well, it seems to me that if our freedom is getting in the way of another country's censorship, that's not our issue or our care. However, with such financial ties to a country like China, we're starting to see a major shift in how we handle those issues at hand and the entertainment industry. China is worth about a billion dollars to the NBA and is roughly 12% of its revenue coming from across the Pacific to a fan base that absolutely loves the sport. I mean, no other sport in China is bigger than the NBA. And over the years, the NBA has increased its dealings with China, opening up stores, broadcasting games in all of the provinces, and now they were going to have games this year during preseason over in Shanghai. But regardless of the financial ramifications of pissing China off, nothing's really going to come between Americans and our right to protest or free speech, right? No. The NBA actually issued an apology to China and said Maury's message was inappropriate for seriously hurting the feelings of Chinese basketball fans. What? The commissioner of the NBA, Mr. Silver, tried to walk that back 
by saying the NBA was supportive of free speech, but the damage has been done, and that seems pretty weak given the immediate response was to essentially censor us. We've also got owner versus owner problems because the Brooklyn Nets owner, Joseph Tsai, is a partner in China's wealthiest e-commerce company and on Facebook said that all the citizens of China opposed the protests in Hong Kong and then went after Mori for being poorly informed. This isn't the first time companies are bending over backwards for the Chinese economic backlash. Mercedes-Benz apologized last year for using a quote by the Dalai Lama in an Instagram post. Blizzard Entertainment, the massive online gaming site, is being boycotted right now by thousands of gamers around the world for banning a player for over a year for the Hong Kong protest support, trying to save a market share in China's emerging gaming market. In the Blizzard case, the individual Wai Chung said after a victory of his, liberate Hong Kong, it's the revolution of our age, and Blizzard banned him for a year, which was now adjusted to six months for violating the purpose of the platform and not being sensitive to other users. You can understand maybe the sensitivity to other users, but at the same time, if your country doesn't have free speech, you're kind of paddling upstream with, like, no paddle. We can go even further down banning things because it's offended individuals in China. Winnie the Pooh, created by a World War I veteran in order to cope with the memories of the war, is banned in China because someone said it looked like their president. Winnie the Pooh was a real black bear named Winnipeg. He was a Canadian soldier's unit mascot that he brought with him over to England and then was renamed Winnie the Pooh by Christopher Robin, who visited him in the zoo. And then his father used the bear to create the Hundred Acre Wood as a place to go and get away from the war. And then Eeyore, who's not in any of this conversation, but just for your education, represents veterans who have difficulty dealing with society, individuals dealing with PTSD, wanting to be alone. That's why he's always kind of curmudgeoning and doesn't want to bring down the mood of others. But the many characters of the wood help him find happiness and try to bring him into the fold, as many individuals returning from war have difficulty doing. Anyway, that tiny little bear in the red shirt is banned. Other examples, China went after Gap, Marriott, and United Airlines for not including Taiwan and Tibet as part of the country on its online forms, forcing those companies to adjust their websites. Tiffany, the jewelry company, had to take down an ad showing a woman covering her right eye in an ad where the photo was taken in May, but because it resonated with too many Chinese internet users with the protest for Hong Kong, where a woman's image was used as the this is what protest is about. She was covering her right eye after being injured by a police beanbag round. So Tiffany's fourth largest market is Hong Kong, but China's significantly larger, so the ad was taken down. South Park permanently banned in China after taking shots this last season on censorship in their two episodes. DJ Zed permanently banned in China for liking a tweet from South Park Studios after the backlash. But back to the NBA and the whole point of this. China's threatened to completely cut ties with the Basketball Association, closing its store in downtown Beijing and initially canceling the Lakers game, but they, they ended up not. The Rockets had to subsequently apologize to CNN for banning an interviewer from asking a question about James Harden related to the topic of China for fear of further backlash. So what is the limit to our free speech? Well, if you're in the NBA, that's a really difficult question because if it's anything about social justice issues in the United States, go at it. But if it has to deal internationally in markets that are 
of significance to your profession, then it appears not. So we're starting to enter an age where individuals have to watch what they say in a free country, in a free society, for fear of offending the interest and stakeholders in a company that have ties internationally in very more tyrannical and less free countries. I think it's interesting. All right, that's going to do it for us this week. Check us out on the Instagram, the Facebook, the internets. You can hit us up at HQ at chronosfit.org. You can hit us up on Instagram whenever. If you have any questions, specifically, we've been getting a lot from individuals heading to iBullock about our supplement plan. That workout, the iBullock plan, on the archive side of our free programs page is designed to go hand-in-hand with your preparation going into ranger school. So it's three days a week where you go and you'll hit some you know, more accessory work, a little bit more conditioning than you should be doing anyway within your eyeball platoon, but just getting you ready so that you can comfortably go run half of what Bobby did in the same time standard that Bobby did to put that in comparison for you. We didn't talk at all about The Hobbit this week or Lord of the Rings, so if you guys were sticking around for that, I really apologize. I just, I only watched the movies like six times this week, and I just couldn't think of anything new or exciting to share with you beyond just my absolute love for that movie. It's just, it's a classic. I'm glad it won an Oscar, but the wrong movie got the award. Anyway, check out Brain Body Bobby. Check out our combined podcast that'll get released this week. If you have any questions of us, you know where to hit us up. You guys have a great rest of your week. Train hard, do the open, compete. Without any further ado, peace.